this. So that means that that we don't have to be too concerned um, about, you know, am I doing everything right? Because Jesus did it right for us. Um, so we have a boldness knowing, we have a confidence within us that, yeah, okay, we can, we can come to God. We can go through this veil. So the, um, uh, in the Greek, um, that uh, new and living way was actually uh, prosphatos, which means a freshly killed way. So that's, that's kind of an interesting terminology here. It's a freshly killed way. So it's not like an old sacrifice. It's not like an old bull. It's freshly killed. And uh, that's different from the old way of sacrificing. So that's new and living or freshly, a fresh new way. So, so this place was where it used to be that where any stain of sin would lead to death. Uh, now, for instance, going into the, the Holy of Holies, I just wanted to make this, he says the veil, going through the veil. If you remember what used to happen is that they would go in beyond the veil to offer sacrifices but they had a robe on with bells at the, at the hem and a rope on their leg um, just in case they died. Um, so, yeah, I mean, basically in humiliation and fear for the whole family that if you went in an unworthy manner, the priest would be dragged out. Um, even, and I made this point, that, that God was so holy that even stepping up steps into the Holy of Holies could lead to death if you weren't properly dressed. In Exodus 20 and 28, it talks about if you don't have the proper underwear on and you're going into the Holy of Holies, you would die. So, you know, I'm like, this is, this is the new freshly killed way in where we don't need to be concerned about all these details. And it's still good to wear underwear, yes, dear. <laughs> and it's a new living way when we are the living sacrifices. Mm. So that's the difference, is that, you know, since we are made in the image of God, God doesn't want to end it. He wants to say, okay, I'm going to redeem you with myself so you can continue living. But the, the flip side of that is, we have to sacrifice ourselves, which is what happens by, for instance, baptism is identifying with Jesus' death. We are identifying with him, and that's our living sacrifice. It's like identify with Jesus and what he has done. So we no longer need to be reminded with bulls and goats. The sacrifices of bulls and goats no longer need to remind us of death, the death sentence over us. Okay, so the number two was the veil of the temple was to pass into the presence of God. That's what it was for. It's like, okay, it's too holy. We're going to put this veil in here. But the goal was to go in to the presence of God. I already made that point, that it was but a shadow. Um, and it says that um, 
through Jesus' flesh, that is the veil that we pass through now, identifying with him and his resurrection through baptism. Then his identity is stamped on us. So also in there, in verse 21, talks about high priesthood. The high priest was officiating our redemption. And I already made this point earlier, that you needed to have a mediator. Um, And I think in a previous chapter, chapter 9, it talks about a mediator. But um, the, the priest is no longer our mediator, but Jesus is. used to be that the old way was men would go in fearfully into the temple to mediate for sin. But now Jesus is our high priest. There's no more fear. He's the perfect priest over God's house. So section four talks about our confidence. So we have assurance of our standing and position with God. Verse 12, it says, when Jesus completed the sacrifice, because it was perfect, he no longer had to stay in the temple sacrificing. So he went to the throne room and sat down. Um, He's no longer working on sacrificing. Um, He rested after completing the sacrifice of himself. And he said it on the cross. Um, It is finished in John 19, 20. So our hearts are sprinkled and an evil conscience is washed away. So remember, every year we would be reminded of sin through the law with sacrifices. Actually, not we. (laughs) The nation of Israel. (laughs) We never sacrificed. At least I haven't. I don't know if anyone on the call has. Um, But no longer is there this reminder. It's gone. Remember, I talked about those before. It was blotted out. So point number two under, under confidence. Here we get to verse 23 where it talks about um, um, holding fast the confession in our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So the thing there is that holding fast, you, you have to be unmoved, right? So you hold on to something if you don't want to be moved. You want to be stubborn about it. You want to grab onto it. Um, and because he is faithful, there's no reason to waver. So there's no reason to let go. There's no reason to doubt because he's faithful. Okay, He did what was the law pointed to. So the law was pointing to him. Remember it said earlier in uh, out of Psalm 140, it was written of him in the book and the law and throughout the prophets. It testified of Jesus but he fulfilled it. He completed our redemption. So there's there's um, a confession we make, a belief in Jesus, and we hold fast to that because there's there's uh, there's. I was actually most of you were not here before we started, but I pulled out the guitar, and there's a song that I sing. Um, that has to do with when Peter was confessing that Jesus is the Christ. He said, well, do you want to go somewhere else? Or, you know, do you, who do people say that we are? And Peter basically says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Um, 
that was one thing. The other thing was is another time they wanted, you know, he wanted to know if they wanted to leave because it was getting hard. And Peter said, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else to go. He's faithful. There's nowhere else to go. There's no other way. I mean, you can look. There's, you know, people propose stuff. Atheism doesn't give you anything. Buddhism, you know, no, sorry, not going to work. Hinduism, sorry, I'm not going to reincarnate myself. Whatever. You know, there's, there's no other way that is like this where someone else who didn't deserve any punishment took uh, the punishment upon themselves. So he's faithful and we need to hold on to that, hold on to that confession. Okay, now we get into something more interesting. Uh, right. There's an interesting part here, starting in verse 24. It says, let us consider one another. It doesn't even start a new paragraph, but it says, and let us consider one another to, in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I only addressed a few pieces here, but in verse 24 it says, gather together with other believers. There's a synergistic encouragement in gathering with believers. A synergism, meaning that, you know, we can all be, you know, reading the Bible in our own rooms or own houses, but there's something that happens when you get together with someone else who has that faith, that confession of faith. You know, remember when God says, when two or more of you are gathered together, there I am in your midst. That's the synergistic effect. When we get together and we all believe in Jesus, it doesn't matter, you know, who you are, where you're from, what your culture is, where, what continent you're from, you know, how tall you are, short you are, how old you are, it doesn't matter. There's, there's a synergism of getting together with other believers, knowing that they too have Christ as their redeemer. And there's the other thing um, I wrote following that where we yet to consider or observe and study how we can cause others to grow in their ability to love. And so, so the term there, stir up, is to convulse others into their calling. So I was reading a little bit about that in the notes, and it said convulse others. I was like, that's pretty severe. You read over that, and it says, consider one another to stir up love and good works. That sounds nice, but it was a lot stronger than that, apparently. Um, so it's like push people out into love and good works. So what is their calling? So it says, okay, consider others. Look at them. Okay, well, what are they good at? What's God calling them to? Encourage them in doing that and say, okay, how can I help you do that? That's a lot stronger than what I got out of just reading that in the past. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then he finishes that up with do not be isolated like some. I don't know who he's referring to here, um, but physically gathering together, once again, has that synergism. Um, 
but maybe it was that um, there, there's no shame and no avoiding persecution through hiding from gatherings of Christians. So it's kind of awkwardly stated, but uh, you know, I did this late at night. Um, so if you think about um, don't be isolated like some, it could be that people are have shame in gathering together with Christians, or maybe they think that they'll be persecuted if they gather together with Christians. So if they hide, they think they will be free. Well, okay, that's probably not what the author is talking about here. He's saying, don't be isolated. Don't, you know, be careful not to isolate yourself and avoid persecution or avoid shame. Those are things that we should not be afraid of. Because in the end, um, when you just follow the truth, those things have no meaning, either shame or persecution. If you're following the truth, then it will be proved out. In verse 25, he talks about exhorting implies urgency and inspiring and coming alongside people with truth. Um, So um, when he says exhort someone, it means, okay, yeah, 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 okay. You know, don't let them f- flounder, right? So how many times have I, I know I've in the past been floundering because there was no common means of the body of Christ getting together to exhort. I mean, if you get together on a Sunday and you come and you worship and you hear the word of God and then you leave, were you exhorted? Were you thrust out into your calling? convulsed into your calling? If you come to a prayer meeting and you don't grasp things, I mean, we do all these things and it's like, yeah, you can walk in and walk out and not be exhorted and not be pushed out into your... So, you know, it's it's consider the time that it's short, right? And, and we need to consider, okay, use of our time. Don't, don't waste our time when we're in the kingdom of God. I know there's people in the world that are out there making money and every moment of their thought is okay how can i make more money or make more of whatever is going on and do better right so you know in the kingdom of god we can do that too we have the holy spirit to help us we have a leg up (laughs) and he talks about, it winds up kind of this section, talking about the press in even more because that day is approaching or at hand. Um, and I was thinking, when was this probably written? Probably about 65 AD. Um, so he's saying, you know, I, I think it's it's been continually since the time of Jesus. It's just like things are getting sharper and sharper of like more urgent of like, we really need to draw people to Christ even though it seems like, yeah, it's been, you know, two millennia. Um, but this day continues to approach. I mean, we're always marching towards when Jesus talked about when that day happens, when he returns, claims his kingdom. Um, and I was reminded when I was reading that section of the, the story of the 10 virgins, they had, they were waiting for the bridegroom and only, five out of the 10 were ready with the oil in the land. Um, 
So that's the type, kind of thing we need to do. We need to be ready and waiting. It's like, okay, prepare your way. That's what the whole exhortation and preparation is. Prepare yourself. Okay. I don't know what we're doing on time here. You guys getting worn out? <laughs> I hope not. All right. Does anyone want to make any comments on that before we go to the next section? Yes. How do you think we should all the tough questions how do we get oil okay well obviously there's the the ways of um that it was just talked about in this section which is you gather together with believers and you study the word and you encourage one another and teach one another and you look for giftings in others you prepare yourself in that manner in the context of this we go to the section in Matthew there's probably a lot of things that that can apply to in addition so I have a devil's advocate comment to make about gathering together and I know some people that claim that this is a calling of theirs and um, it kind of reminds me of uh, people that we know such as John the Baptist or people that kind of stayed in caves and they just meditated 24 7 on christ and um i know some people like that today who don't really think that that's a priority uh what we're talking about gathering together i don't know what uh comment to make on that i think you might have something to say somebody might have something to say about that because people think it's a calling to be in solitude to be quiet meditating so there are times when when god does call us to be um um set apart for certain things like for 40 days jesus went out in the desert there's no one around in the desert um, so what was he doing there well he was communing with god and he was preparing himself for the ministry that was beforehand so there's a time of preparation so they're called to do that in preparation for something i mean if they just go there and do that the rest of their life they're a hermit out in the woods and they do that the rest of their life have they impacted the world um, i mean through prayer but Maybe. i mean if they don't know what to pray for because they're isolated then have they hmm. you know i i don't know well, what about go therefore and make disciples of all nations right that implies going out where the sinful nations are right even getting dirty so, yeah I, I keep thinking of i mean every time you know i talk about being in a place of um of meditation and isolation sometimes i think the, the prayer room can be like that where you're not around you know you're not like in a huge congregation right it can be a place of okay you're kind of you know, more isolated. You're not like out on the street corner, you know, with your sandwich board saying, right. you know, Jesus is coming and right. repent <laughs> or whatever your method is. Um, okay. So then I think of Cindy Buto and about what happened with her is that she has had a huge impact in the native nations um, and amongst young people because she was in the 
prayer room and God put something in her heart and God thrust her out, convulsed her out. She went out into, you know, doing ministry and she's now um, done lots of different things with Native American um, Also, I just people. got gas. And she's well known in that community. So that was a time when she was set apart for a long time. A few years, yeah. I know. All right, that's one example. I don't know if others have additional examples. That's good. Should we isolate ourselves? I mean, that's the question you're asking. Yeah, well, I, I, I know people who justify mm -hmm. that mission, this is not for them, that's not their calling, uh, you know, going, doing street ministry and stuff like that, uh, being a preacher is not their calling. Um, praying or just being um isolate isolated like just isolated in nature but uh it also goes to a personality style i've known their personality styles is more introverted you know they don't really feel comfortable in crowds so i'm just you know throwing it out there i think there's Comments. probably a difference too between solitude and isolation you know and there there's a difference in the motives like why you're not gathering together and are you ever gathering with any believers or are you just you know oh, or are you mad at the church <laughs> and so you're just not gathering and calling it something else you know right is there unforgiveness and that kind of thing because on the one hand you know the prayer room is like what charlie said it could feel a little like you know we're in the monastery or something but the monastery and the prayer room, if you're around it quite a bit, you rub shoulders, right? You rub and buff each other. There's probably more opportunities for Sermon on the Mount, right? In those environments, because it's very much an everyday environment where we're together every day. Unless you're like Charlie in at 5 a.m. <laughs> he gets more solitude. Why? <laughs> But but others of us, you know, see each other every day. It's more of like a working environment, you know, where we're actually in each other's lives, you know. And I think you do need to make a point, of course, to get in each other's lives. But I think there's, you know, all, there's a lot of factors um, bringing that point up. And there are people called to do a lot of solitude. And it's unto the Lord and it is prayer and I relate to those people very much um, but that's different than isolating yourself because you're tired of the church you know right. or you're mad you know or you have a you have something there that's like not right really with the Lord you know right. and though we're all called to intercession we're all called to evangelism and yet there's some who are called to more of each of those, right? You know, you might be 90% intercession, 10% evangelism, or the other way around. Right. You know, and that's totally valid too. So, I don't know. Just some points. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. That's good. I was thinking how some evangelists, you know, that we know as revivalists, had some intercessors that would go in before them. So it, you know, it can appear that people are doing nothing and are isolated and yet really moving in their calling 
to make way to even bring open heaven for an evangelist mm-hmm. or for many evangelists. So hopefully our prayer rooms are having um, even that kind of effect as well as discipleship uh, so that many messengers can be sent out right. that are fully devoted to God. Mm-hmm. Yes. Who really have oil in their lamps. Yeah. So we do it together. So would you say that getting oil in your lamps is like hiding the word in your heart? The word and the the word of God is the oil. I think the Holy Spirit and intimacy is the oil, which has to do with the word. It has to, but it's it's the intimacy. It's relationship. It's union. What'd you say, Claire? Getting to know the Lord's voice. Or his heart. His heart. Yeah, his heart. His voice. Wait. Didn't Jesus say to the virgins that did not have the oil when they came knocking at the door? Didn't he say, uh, I'm sorry, I don't know you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never knew. Yeah. Well, oil is something that has to be bought because the five virgins that had it, they told the other, go to the store and buy some for yourselves. But we buy it without gold, right? Right. But no, there's, there's a price to pay for it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I can tell when I come to visit because I'm new, um, what I see from your spending time alone with the Lord, but that's not all you do, but it, it is like that oil on the lamp. And I could, I don't know how to say it, guys, except for with a couple of you in particular, I could just really see you've been with Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's what I see. I see the wisdom of God. That you're spending time with him, you know, uh, and in his word, but with him, it's real obvious. I love you guys. <laughs> yeah. So glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. That's awesome. So I think uh, we're going to wind it up here. Uh, any any final thoughts? or uh, were, Those were pretty good final thoughts. But anything else that uh, is burning on anybody's heart to share before we pray? Dismiss. I'm glad we get to do this together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. I was just I was thinking that this encouraging one another and spurring one another, um, you know, putting these teachings together is not easy. That's a spur. That's kind of spurring up out a little bit, and. Uh, Charlie did, did that, and you guys are doing that, and I, I just appreciate you digging in because we all benefit. And this is um, this is not. I don't find Hebrews to be very easy. I don't feel it's not a slam dunk. The, the author is is a complex writer, and, and so it takes a while for you guys to to, uh, 
pull out the meaning of it. I really appreciate it. So thanks for agreeing to be spurred. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or what, is, what was the word? Convulsed. Convulsed. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say thank you to you and Amy for giving us the opportunity. It's really good. Yeah. Well, we're, we're convulsing all over you. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. So, Jesus, thank you for, um, for blessing us. Thank you, Lord, for the fact of the, of the perfection that we are when we say yes to you. Thank you for that fact. And thank you, Lord, for the daily battle of sanctification as well. We, we acknowledge that your sacrifice was, was perfect, right, and that from the foundation of the world, we, uh, for some reason, in your decision, you chose us to be part of the grafted-in branch of, of your thrust through history. Thank you for that. We ask you, Lord, to um, be in our thoughts. Lord, help us to um, hear your voice and help us to discern where we're burning the oil and where we're acquiring oil. Even tonight, Lord, help us to uh, make lifestyle decisions and changes mm-hmm. that that fuel our lamps in, in as much as they burn. Mm-hmm. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, thank you, Charlie. You're welcome. Thank you. That was amazing. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Charlie. Great job. Yeah. You're welcome.